Both remind me much of my childhood. And uh, back when I was just a little fella, wasn't but, but uh, six foot tall and only 300 pounds. And so, no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> just kidding. But I do remember those songs as a kid. And, and uh, they stick with you. And there's such a joy about gathering with God's people and singing those things that just uplift and encourage a heart that remind us of who Christ is, that, that remind us of our security in Him. So, uh, that's kind of what we're going to look at tonight as well. Uh, so take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 16. Psalm number 16. Psalm 16. Now this is a psalm. seems to be by David, by all accounts. And what we're going to see in this is that, one, we'd like to say for sure when he wrote this, why he wrote this, but we don't quite all the way know, and that's okay. What we do know is this, that clearly David's going through something in his life that is causing him to once more ask for the Lord's help for his protection. He is as well, throughout this whole psalm, what, here's what he's going to do. He's going to be showing confidence and comfort in the Lord. These are two things that we should both have. And essentially, there's going to be four little sections, and each section is either confidence in the Lord or comfort in the Lord. Both go hand in hand. If you're confident in the Lord, well, that's comforting, isn't it? And if you have comfort in the Lord, well, that gives you confidence. Y'all get it? All right, we, if you get it, we could go on home. No, I'm, all right, no, we'll, we'll just go through it then. If you didn't get it, we'll go on through. That's okay. I want to read the psalm for us tonight, the, the, the 11 verses here, and we're just going to jump in and kind of look each little section by section. It says, Preserve me, O God, for in Thee do I put my trust. O my soul, Thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to Thee, but to the saints that are in the earth and to the, and to the excellent, in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. Rains also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my glory rejoiceth, my flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you this night. We just want to thank you that we can sing songs. Lord, we can, we can laugh. We can enjoy your presence. We can enjoy the presence of one another, God. You've designed us to do just that. Help us to come now as your word is open, God, that you would open up our hearts and our minds to it. Lord, I pray that you would help me, Lord, give uh, strength uh, physically, spiritually, Lord, just to preach and teach your word tonight. God, that each one of us would receive what we need tonight for, from you, Lord, that you would speak to us tonight through your word. We love and we thank you for this time, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, here's the great thing about this psalm. This is David's psalm as he's writing this, right? And this is sort of a, a prayer, and I love the psalms. We often think about the psalms that you go there for uplifting and encouraging messages, don't you, right? You hear much about the praising and the singing of which they are. But nearly half the psalms, if not more, are psalms of lament. They're psalms of difficulties and great trials. But it is through these trials that the Lord, I believe, reveals Himself all the more to us. We will only know who God is truly through the valley experiences. We see glimpses of who God is, certainly, and we enjoy His presence on the mountaintops and when things are going so great. But we really learn about our faith and we learn about God's faithfulness when things aren't so good. I believe that we see that here with David, but what this causes David to do is a couple of things. 
One, it causes him to then turn his heart once more and to place his confidence in the Lord, which brings comfort to him in the Lord. Because our only confidence must be and can only be in the Lord. And the only comfort that we can have in this life, this was David, who was a king. He had palaces and and a multitude of, of wealth and riches. Anything that he wanted at any time when things were going good for David, he could have had. And now what we see, though, is that this world, though you can have anything in this world, Nothing compares to having the Lord. Nothing is as comforting as the Lord. You could have a palace. Without the Lord, that palace is going to be pretty empty, isn't it? Right? You could have a run-down rickety shack on the outside of town and have hardly anything. But if you've got the Lord, it makes a difference, doesn't it? Because we're not living for this world anyways. There was a little line that we just sang earlier about the, the pilgrim way, right? We're not here forever. And David understood this. Now, here's the second thing about this psalm that is going to be of great interest tonight. Do y'all believe that this Bible is God's Word? Absolutely. Now, as it's God's Word, we talked about Sunday mornings, that it's God revealing Himself to us. But the great thing that God does, the way in which He reveals Himself to us, is through the personal work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that this Bible, when it is opened, when it is read, when it is preached, that it bleeds Christ. It is everywhere. He is everywhere. The message of Jesus Christ is everywhere. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's promise. That's God's Word. He is the fulfillment of God's provision. That's God's work. It is through His Word and His work that we can be saved, which is to bring us into God's presence. This is God's will. God, God's will for your life and for my life is that we would live in His presence. We'll get into that at the very end in verse 11. That, uh, that the, the, thy presence is fullness of joy. Right? That's really what we're getting at. But what we're going to find in this psalm is that this is pointing to Jesus Christ in a specific, specific way. The things that David is going to be writing about saying, these are the things I do. Right? I ask the Lord to preserve me. I uh, do all these different things. The way in which he lives. I have set the Lord always before me. and I will bless the Lord. All these things. We find that David didn't do them perfectly, did he? Of course not. But David was a man after God's own heart. You and I don't do them perfectly. But there's one who did. And it's Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to be the prophecy fulfillment of this, especially when we get into verse number 9 through 11. We're going to see the gospel in verses 9 through 11. The death, the burial, and the resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of Psalms. That's the beauty of the Bible. That it's not just little books, little letters, little quotes and and, and tidbits of information, but one big story of God's revealing grace and glory to save us from our sins. And it's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we begin here, in verses 1-4, through we're going to see confidence in the Lord. This is our first little section here. Confidence in the Lord, verse 1-4. through Guzik writes, It seems that David wrote this psalm from a time of trouble because he asked for preservation knew that he would not be moved, Psalm 16, verse 8, and had confidence in some kind of resurrection, Psalm 16, 10. That's a future, a bodily resurrection. In the Jewish times, they believed in a future day of resurrection for judgment. This is what separated the Pharisees and the Sadducees during Jesus' day. The Pharisees were great law keepers, right? That was their whole focus. They wanted to keep strictly and adhere to it, and they even added stuff to it, which made it quite... um, wrong for what they were doing. They, they ended up taking something that was supposed to be good, a resurgence of conservatism, and they made it uh, about pride. Nevertheless, they believed in a future bodily resurrection of the saints of God to be then glorified and to be able to dwell with the Lord. 
Whereas the Sadducees did not believe any literal bodily resurrection. There would be some who would believe perhaps in something equivalent of like a soul sleep or something like that, where a body is not resurrected. Christ is going to resurrect us. Literally, from that, that's what happens in the rapture. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then those of us which alive and remain shall be called together with Him, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's our great hope. That's our great confidence in Christ. Guzik continues and he says, Yet the tone of the psalm is not despair or complaint. It is settled joy. Despite his trouble, David had praise, a praising confidence in his God. We talked about it a little bit this morning during Sunday school, that regardless of what we face in this life, you and I, because of the Lord Jesus Christ, have the ability, even have the privilege, to be able to glorify God in the midst of trials, in the midst of uh, difficulties, in the midst of everything all around us. We can have a confidence in the Lord. Though we might live in uncertain times, do we not? Right? We have uncertain things in our life where we don't know about tomorrow. We, we might not know what we're having for breakfast or even if breakfast is going to come. We know this, though, that the Lord is sure. The Lord is steadfast. The Lord will not be moved, that God will preserve His people. Notice this as we get into this. Verse number 1. David's writing here with his confident heart. He says, Preserve me, O God, for in Thee do I put my trust. Now, if David was asking, Lord, preserve me, O God, for in me I put my trust. Is that very confident in the Lord? No, it's not. Why would God want to preserve, or would He preserve someone who is putting their confidence in their own flesh? You and I cannot put our confidence in our flesh. Rather, the only confidence that we can do is put our trust in the Lord. It is He who preserves our heart. We talked about that this morning during the worship service, looking over in Jude chapter 1, remember, <laughs> verses uh, 24 and 25, looking at how it's the Lord that holds onto us, that keeps us from falling. Remember, it was David who had been literally time and time again on, uh, on just a, 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 this spree of just having to run and flee for his life because there were those that were coming against him. People wanted David dead. Even his own family wanted him dead. Those that should not have wanted David dead, wanted David dead. And David, all throughout this, does not depend or trust in his military might or his military experience or his own battle testing. Rather, he trusts in the Lord. Now, asking God for protection is an act of trusting that only God's protection can preserve us. I believe this is one of the most humbling things that we can do, but I believe it is one of the most faithful things that we can do is ask the Lord Preserve me, O God, for in Thee do I put my trust. Here's what happens. David is not praying here with closed fists. David is not praying with fists that are ready to, to just fight any old thing. Rather, he has lifted up his hands to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm putting my trust in You. Now, if anybody could have said, I'm going to put my trust in my sword or in my abilities and my talents and my wisdom and my knowledge, it was David. David had all of those things and then some. But instead, David says, I've got nothing. I must trust the Lord. You and I often go through life, and the Lord has had to humble me and teach me a lot of things. I've noticed that you and I pray and ask for the Lord's help for really big things in our life that we can't seem to do, right? We can't figure it out. We come sort of to the end of our rope and we go, well, I guess I've got to go to God now, don't we? Right? And so here's what happens. We go to God only for the things that we've tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. And then we go, well, now I need the Lord to come in and, uh, and, and you know, play, play back up here, right? It's, it's like we've believed in ourselves to be the starting quarterback or the, or the starting pitcher. 
and now our arm has gotten tired, and we need to call in the reserve. We need to call in the closer because we just, our arm is sore. We can't do it anymore, right? Is that the right attitude? I don't believe so. The reason why it's the wrong attitude is because you and I spend much of our time where we're trusting in our arm, our strength, our might, our wisdom, our experience, instead of everything going to the Lord in prayer. I don't believe that there's anything too small for us to pray about. I think, and it sounds silly, I think that we can ask, Lord, as I get clothed today, clothe me in righteousness. Clothe me in armor. Lord, as I walk today, protect my feet. Protect my mind. May I not go to the right or to the left. Lord, help me to brush my teeth. That sounds silly. But when we look at everything and understanding that we are dependent upon the Lord for everything, I believe it, one, it gives us a confidence in the Lord, right? And that gives us help. But it gives us communion with the Lord because we stay in fellowship with Him. Because we're going to see here at the end of this chapter, at the end of this psalm, that the whole idea of our Christian life is to enjoy the presence of the Lord. Now he says, Preserve me, O God, for in Thee do I put my trust. We can only have confidence in God's preservation of our lives if we have confidence to trust Him with all parts of our life. Talked about that this morning as well. We often trust God with our eternity. We say, well, Lord, thank You for saving me. Now I don't have to go to hell. But then we don't trust Him with doctor's bills, doctor's appointments, or maybe even not doctors, and we don't trust Him with getting us to work safely or actually blessing our food or, or whatever it might be. We've got to trust the Lord in all things. Here what we find is David was a man who was surrendered. He was surrendered to God and he was dependent upon God. And that's why David was a man for God's own heart. Because he was full of faith. Not faith in himself. Not even full of faith of the things that God gave to him. But full of faith in God alone. The person. And here's verse 2. We see this continued confidence. He says, O my soul, that I said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee. Notice this, first of all. He doesn't just say, Thou art the Lord. He says, Thou art my Lord. You and I know in our minds that He is the Lord. But a heart that knows the Lord is able to say, Thou art my Lord. This is an act of surrender. This is an act of humility. This is an act of faith to say, Lord, you are my Lord. It also shows us a lot about the character of God. Do you believe tonight that God is in control of all things? That he's, He rules? He knows all things? Right? I absolutely do. If not, then He's not God. and We're in big trouble, aren't we? But because of this, right, we've got to understand, He is not just a God who knows all things and sees all things, but He is a very personal God. Right? He cares specifically about you. The Bible tells us that His thoughts are many toward us. That He knows us by name. He knows the hairs on our head. And we often hear cliches and things. Oh yeah, He knows it. every hair in your head, even the ones down the drain, and all that stuff, right? But the fact remains the same. That God actually cares about you. Now to fathom this, this brings us a natural confidence because if we understand that God cares about me and He cares about you, well that means that even though God is doing an infinite amount of things right now more important than me. He still cares about me. He wants to help me. He wants to walk with me. He wants me to trust Him. He wants to provide for me. All of these things. I've said it before, God will do more in one second than I would ever or could ever do in a lifetime. Even a thousand lifetimes. 
God is ever at work, and yet He is my Lord. This is a heart full of faith, a heart full of surrender to Him. He says, then my goodness extendeth not to thee. The idea is this, that David has submitted to God as a sovereign Lord of his life and his affairs. He's trusting the Lord with everything, whether it be in the palace, whether it be out in the wilderness, running for his life. David recognizes as well in this verse that all of his own good is nothing compared to God's goodness. Anything good in this life and in his own life comes from God himself. If we remember, James spoke about this. James chapter 1, verse 17. After James talked so much in the first portion of the first chapter about trials and the strengthening of faith, he says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. Uh, of his creatures. Here's what we find. James talked about it. David talks about it. That God is the one who gives every dollar, every penny, every nickel you got. It is God who gives every breath. We often want to give far too much credit to our own heart beating. We want to give too much credit to our lungs working and functioning. We want to give too much credit to the vitamins that we buy at Walmart or wherever, right? I take vitamins too, but most of the time I just think they might be some sort of placebo. I don't know if they really work or not. They might just, I don't know. I don't know if they work. I don't know. I haven't gotten sick lately, but we'll see, right? I do know this. It is God that gives life. And when we understand that it is God that gives life, and it is God that gives every moment, it means that in every moment, we should be putting our trust in Him. And we should be telling Him about it. We must see that in comparison to God, we've got nothing. Greenham writes, I receive all good from Thee, but no good can I return to Thee. Wherefore, I acknowledge thee to be most rich and myself to be most beggarly. This is what he was sort of praying to the Lord. He, he finds that it is God who gives everything good. But notice this. I've got nothing that can add to God's nature or character. I've got nothing that will make God better. I've got nothing that I could ever give God that will make Him bigger or stronger or more mighty, or more loving, or more kind, or more gracious. But instead, what does he have? He has everything to give to me. We must see ourselves, not just as this one person wrote about being beggarly, that idea of what he's talking about is that we see our great need of the Lord in every moment. Sometimes we're far too confident when things are comfortable. Kimmy and I have seen that in our own life where We've never been rich by any means, but we've seen what happens when we're comfortable. Being comfortable leads to a lot of things that cannot be always good. Sometimes, and let's be honest, the American dream is to be comfortable, right? White house, picket fence, right? White picket fence, port swing, right? Uh, I mean, the, the whole thing, right? You know, apple pie, hot dogs, 401k, whatever, right? American dream. It's comfort that we're looking for. We're looking to be comfortable. When you say, is there something wrong with being comfortable? Well, when I leave here, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put on some comfortable clothes and sit in a comfortable chair, right? I'm going to kick back. That's what we're talking about. When our comfort means more to us than trusting the Lord, there becomes a problem. 
and what we have found in our own life, of not being rich by any means, but times where we've been comfortable, those are times where we've been unsatisfied with the Lord because we haven't needed Him so much. When we're comfortable in this life, we don't think so much about how desperately we need God. Now, think about this. You can go home tonight and you can turn on any old water spigot just about, right? And have water, unless your pipes are frozen or anything like that. But if that's the case, right, get a bottle of water. But you, we've got access to water, lights, the whole thing. We don't have to think about it. You and I don't think. If that went away, I wouldn't be comfortable. What would I have to do? I'd have to ask for the Lord's provision, wouldn't I? I don't have to think about the Lord's provision when I walk over to my sink and just turn it and water comes, Right? There, I'm just trusting, well, I paid the bill last month, and we should be good. Got water. We've got to understand is that every drop, everything in this life comes from God. He says, but to the saints that are in the earth and to excellent in whom is all my delight. Here's what helps David be confident. He delights in what God delights in. I'm afraid that many of us, and myself included sometimes, we delight in a lot of things, Right? We get delighted in a lot of worldly things. Things that we even shouldn't. But here's what we must delight in. What God delights in. What does God delight in? That we know Him and that we make Him known. That we walk with Him. That we live a holy life, a righteous life. That we uh, seek Him and pursue Him. That we trust Him. That we put our confidence in Him. That we can find ourselves even to the point of being beggarly and, and needy. And we ask Him for help and He provides for us. The Lord delights in those things. David delights in what God delights in, and that is people who trust in the Lord, the saints. Do you delight in what God delights in? Do you delight in the saints of God? Does the idea of being around fellow Christians bring your heart delight, comfort, confidence? It ought to. Boyce writes, this is a practical matter, for it is a way by which we can measure our relationship to the Lord do you love other Christians? Do you find it good and rewarding to be with them? Do you seek their company? This is a simple test. Those who love the Lord will love the company of those who also love Him. Remember, it was David, after all, who had someone who was like that in his life. Jonathan, you remember? Him and Jonathan were knit together in the heart because they both loved the Lord. They could have a love for one another. It could be knit together. One heart, one mind is the idea. That's the same idea that that the Lord tells us that we are to have in Philippians chapter 2, that we're to have the mind of Christ in us that unites His church together. The Lord delights in it. We should delight in it. Psalm 147 tells us this in verses 10 and 11. He delighteth, this is God, speaking of God, He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear Him, in those that hope in His mercy. David is someone who knows the fear of the Lord. David is someone who knows the mercy of the Lord. David is someone who puts his hope, his confidence, his trust, his faith in the mercy of God. You and I must do the same. You want to delight God tonight? Be needy. You want to bring a smile to God's face? Ask Him for help. Trust Him for help. Put your faith in Him. Put your confidence in Him. You can never overwhelm God with your problems or your needs. You can never over. I do not believe that we can ever over-ask God. He is our Heavenly Father who cares for us, who is concerned for us, who desires to answer prayer, to provide for His people. 
Furthermore, being confident in the Lord allows us and brings us to the place where we can't be confident in the flesh or idols. Look at verse 4. He's speaking about those who do not. He says, Their sorrow should be multiplied that hasten after another God. If you're hastening after another God, do you think you're trusting in the Lord, my Lord? No. Not the God of the Bible. He says, Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. Those who do not trust in God, trust in other gods. David desires to be separate from idolatry and set apart unto God. The idea here, there is some mystery, but it, what had happened in many parts during Israel's day and much of their downfall was idolatry. We often think that it just became immorality, but immorality happens because there's idolatry first. A lot of idolatry would offer different kinds of offerings and even blood offerings, whether it be from animals. There was even many pagan practices, and still is today, by the way, of offering human sacrifice, blood sacrifice. This sort of thing has been around for thousands of years. David says, I, I take no delight in that. I want nothing to do with that. And matter of fact, he says, those sorrows shall be multiplied of those that do such. He says, I will not, uh, he says, their offerings of blood will I not offer. I won't, I won't offer the way that they offer, nor take up their names into my lips. I won't even speak of them. Someone who is confident in the Lord is not confident in other gods, which means they're separate from all idolatry. They're separate from all these things in their life that could hinder their confidence in God. Notice this. You and I don't do a lot of blood offerings, do we? <laughs> Amen? I hope not. I hope that's not you, right? Now, if here's what we understand. You go, well, I don't practice that sort of pagan sacrifice, right? Well, thank the Lord. Nevertheless, you and I often sacrifice to other gods. This can be seen in how we spend our time, our thoughts, the way we respond to God, the way that we believe or don't believe God, the way that we trust Him or don't trust Him, the way that our eyes and the things that our eyes see, the things that our ears hear, a multitude of things. How we live our life shows this. So we might not be pouring out blood offerings on some sort of a pagan altar. However, you and I often find ourselves in a place of idols in our heart. These things must be crushed. And they can only be crushed when we put our trust in the Lord our God. Second, in verses 5 and 6, we find the comfort that this brings. David says, The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Here we find in verses 5 and 6, the Lord is our inheritance and sustainer of life both now and eternally. Sorensen writes it this way, David, he refers to the Hebrew system of inheriting the land of his forefathers. Though he no doubt would inherit land upon the death of his father, David rather proclaimed that the Lord was his inheritance. In other words, he looked forward to whatever the Lord would provide for him that always has been and always will be better than any earthly reward or advancement. As Paul would cry out, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. David knew that God maintained his lot in life. The thought is how that God preserved him and protected him. All that he had or would ever be was completely in the Lord's hands. Here, he says, The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. 
He's not just saying that God is the one that gives me an inheritance, but God is my inheritance. We often think about what God does for us, and that's a good thing to praise God for what He does for us, isn't it? But we must get to the place where we simply are able to praise God for simply who He is. God is the greatest gift. He is not just the greatest giver of gifts, but He Himself is the gift. This is why we say, and we talk about this a lot, the greatest thing about heaven is not the gifts or the crowns of which God might give to us or the rewards. It's not streets of gold. It is none of those things. It's not the beauty of heaven. The beauty of heaven and the gift of heaven is the presence of God Himself. It is to know Him, to see Him, to adore Him, to be with our God and Savior. What we find is like David, there is no comfort in the comforts of the world. There is only comfort in having confidence in the Lord. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. This goes back as well to verse 1, Preserve me, O God. And now we find the confidence being given to the Lord and comfort now being from the Lord. He says, You maintain my lot. Anyone ever heard the phrase, Oh, I just got a bad lot in life, right? We treat it as if it's some sort of uh, cosmic roll of the dice of like, well, you know, someone's just born to be suffered, right? They're just going to suffer their whole life. That's just their just way the, the cookie crumbles. That's just their lot. We've got to understand this. It is God who ordains your lot in life, if you will. It is the Lord that knows. You're rising and you're... Your, your downfalls. He knows your failures. He knows everything. He knows everything you're going to go through. That's a comforting thing. It's not a thing that makes me question God. Rather, it's a thing that makes me go, well, because God knows all this, why would I question Him? He is the one that allows things into my life to strengthen my faith. Because God does know and ordain all. And, and what, well, uh, There's a song, a hymn, Whatever my God ordains is right. Whatever the Lord ordains is right because He is righteousness. He is good. He is kind. And because of all of that, I can have comfort and confidence in Him. He says, The lines are fallen unto me in a pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. We have a goodly heritage. And it's not just talking about church history here. The idea is that the Lord Himself is our heritage. He is our portion. Verses 7 and 8 show us once more the confidence in the Lord. Confidence, comfort, confidence, comfort. I will bless the Lord. When we come to the place where we begin to know God a little bit more, what it causes us to do is to bless the Lord. To praise Him is the idea. To give glory and honor to Him. One who is confident in the Lord will praise and obey Him in all things. It's much easier to praise God when we're trusting Him, isn't it? When I'm not trusting the Lord, you know what? My life's, my life's not going to look like a whole lot of praising. And this is why we've started on Wednesday nights, before we take prayer requests, let's take praises first. One, it's a good habit to praise God before you start asking for stuff. Two, it's a comforting thing and an encouraging thing to one another to remind ourselves that there is much more to praise God for than there isn't. And what we find here is we see like David, he says, I will bless the Lord. Notice this. One, we know it's the right thing to do, isn't it? To praise God. There's no greater calling on our life than to bless the Lord. But two, it is a choice. 
You have the choice to bless the Lord or not. You have the choice to praise God or not. And God is not going to go, oh, you know, they didn't, they didn't praise me too good today at church. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go just going to go over here in the stars and just cry my little heart out. No. No. God does not need our praise to survive. However, He delights in it because as we praise Him, we are putting our confidence in Him. And as literally, as we are able to praise the Lord, the Lord delights in it then to then give us not necessarily everything that we ever want, but He gives us Himself. That's the greatest answer to our need today. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. He praises God for giving him counsel throughout his days and throughout the difficulties. All throughout the day, whether it's night, whether it's morning, whether it's afternoon, he's able to put his comfort and confidence in the Lord to trust him and to bless the Lord for who he is and what he has done. He says in verse 8, and I believe that this is perhaps one of the keys to Christian living. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. That's confidence, isn't it? I'm not going to be moved because of the Lord. Notice David does not say, I will not be moved because I'm hard-headed, because I'm more determined, or because I'm smarter, or because I'm more wise or experienced or more steadfast. No. He says, because the Lord is with me. The Lord is at my right hand. The Lord is before me, is the idea. You and I have got to understand the presence of the Lord. We think of God just being out there in the distance somewhere. This is why we sin so much. This is why I sin so much. If I have the Lord set before me, Jesus in my living room, Jesus, while I'm, while I'm on my phone or in my truck. Well, that changes things a little bit, doesn't it? It changes how you think. It changes what you look at, what you think about, how you respond to things, how you react, how you speak, where you go. You and I understand that the presence of the Lord is there, and we set the Lord always before us. Then what we always find is that there is a comfort and a confidence that comes with knowing that God is with us. He goes before us. So there's nothing that gets to me that hasn't already gone through Him. Think about that. Nothing in your life, and everything in your life rather, has gone already through the hands of the God. Through the Lord Himself. Everything in your life has been touched by the Lord. That's a comforting thing. That's something that brings us great confidence to trust Him. Because this means that it is for my good and for His glory. That it is working something in my life. He declares that he will obey the Lord because God is with him. And if there's ever reason for us to obey the Lord, it is because God is with us. I think about this. I was much more prone to do that which is right when my dad was home. Was anybody else like that? Right? When my dad left for work, that's when things got cranked up, right? That's when I go, I. I I can say what I want, do what I want. I'm the man of the house now, right? Dad's gone for 12 hours, night shift. I'm going to tell my mom, whatever. And I'd, I'd talk, talk, talk. I still do. Thank you. But, 
She's alive. She's feeling okay. <laughs> She's feeling better. <laughs> but when Dad got home, it's a different story. My dad wasn't a mean man. All right, he was mean looking. He was not a mean man. My dad, though, would make sure. And when I was there, my mouth zipped up a little bit quicker. And he didn't have to whoop me too much. It was a look or a comment. Now think about this, though. If you and I believe that God is our Heavenly Father, and we understand His presence to be with us, it's going to change how we live, isn't it? A lot of times we live our Christian life like only Mama's home. Or like nobody's home, and we can do what we want. David here, saying, I have set the Lord always before me. When you wake up in the morning, how many thoughts do you think until you think of the Lord? When you sit down at the table, how many thoughts does it take to think of the Lord? When you pray, how many sentences does it take to get to praising the Lord? To make him the topic of discussion. David says, the Lord is always before me. He's at my right hand, therefore I shall not be moved. Guzik writes, in the ultimate sense, only Jesus did this perfectly. Amen? I don't want to beat you up or me up tonight, because we don't do that perfectly. I know that. But Christ did. He was always in the intimate presence of his Father. The method taken by Christ <clears throat> as a man to support himself in time of trouble and persevere into the end was to maintain a constant and actual sense of the presence of Jehovah. He then feared not the powers of earth and hell combined for his destruction. Nothing. Nothing would keep Jesus from doing the will of the Father. The Lord was always set before him. Notice Jesus' prayers in the Gospels. How does he pray? Father, Father. There talks about times where Jesus, even after long hours of ministry and literally being drained physically and spiritually, mind you, just wiped. What would he do? He would go off and would spend a night in prayer. He'd wake up early and go get alone with his father. That's what life should look like. Jesus lived out what you and I couldn't. We often think about this theologically, that Jesus died the death that we couldn't die or pay the price that we couldn't pay. But Jesus lived the life that we were supposed to live but never could live. And now, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, those of us who have trust in Jesus, who are saved by grace through faith, the great news is this, that now when the Lord looks at us, it is not just as if our sins have got this uh, standpoint that says, oh, paid in full. That's on there, certainly. It's not even just as if they got deleted or wiped off. But now it is as if every righteous deed that Christ Himself ever did is given to our account. This is what this means. This gives us confidence. Lastly, verses 9-11, through 11, here's what we're going to find. How all of this brings it home to show us that Jesus lived out this psalm perfectly and that Jesus is the center point of this psalm. Therefore, my heart is glad. When you're confident in the Lord, your heart is glad, is it not? When you're not confident in the Lord, your heart is not so glad. Matter of fact, most of the time when your heart is not so glad and you're down in the dumps or things aren't good spiritually or you just feel blah, right? Anyone ever been there spiritually? I have, 
right? You're not up, you're not down, you're just sort of somewhere in between. You're like three-day-old jello. That's right. You got that film over top. It's it's just not that it's still jello. But you just kind of yeah. Now think about this. He says, My heart is glad. Our hearts as Christians should be glad. If all we've got is that Christ saved me from my sins and from hell, I've got a lot to be glad over. My heart should be glad, soon for the fact that I'm saved, let alone for the fact that God is now with me, that His presence goes before me. His presence is there at my right. He keeps me from falling and stumbling. And when I do fall and stumble, He'll pick me right back up and keep me on the narrow way once more. His confidence in the Lord brings Him comfort in the Lord. He can trust God with all of His life and eternity after His death. We talked about it this morning. Sung about it rather. Christ, our hope in life and death is the idea. David is secure in the sufficiency of God. Now look at how these few verses, and really the psalm itself points to Christ. The entire psalm's attitude toward God is found in Christ. Jesus the man lived this out. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Hope is not something that is seen. It is something that is confident and trusting in down the road. It is faith. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. The word hell, by the way, is not what you and I picture as the place of hell today. The word hell here is the idea of the place of the dead, not necessarily the place of the wicked or the damned as we view it today. The Hebrew word for hell was a little bit different. Nevertheless, the idea is you won't leave my soul dead or in the place of dead people, meaning that there's coming a resurrection. That's the hope for David. That's the hope for us. And Jesus fulfilled that, didn't He? Jesus did not stay dead. Jesus did not stay in the grave. The tomb was rolled away. Not so much that Jesus could get out, but so that we could look in and see that He's risen. He has resurrected from the dead. Therefore my heart is glad, my glory rejoiceth, my flesh also shall rest in hope, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer the holy one, notice that, to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is a fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Only Jesus was perfectly confident and comforted in the Lord. This is why He could walk the long, lonely road to the cross. Not because of anything else. But what Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1-3, through 3, that for the joy that was set before Him, He endured. He looked beyond the cross. He could see the empty tomb. He could look beyond the empty tomb and He could see that He would be ascended to the right hand of His Father, given all authority, all power, all dominion over the world. Christ could see it and pressed on with confidence knowing that God the Father would deliver Him. That's what our life is to look like. He was surrendered to His heavenly Father and rested secure in Him. Now David here, to some degree, not only trusts in the future resurrection of his own flesh, but prophesies of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. Now why is that important that David does this here? 
Because the Gospel of Jesus Christ is not an afterthought of God. It was never God's plan B or C or D or E or F or G or whatever comes after that. It was always plan A. That God Himself would put on flesh, would live a sinless, perfect life that we could never live in our flesh. And He died a death of which He did not deserve, that we deserved. And He was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scripture and ascended to the Father to be seated at the right hand, to go and to make intercession for us, to prepare us a place where we can dwell with Him forevermore. That's the Gospel. And that's always been the message of the Bible. Now Jesus lived the life of verses 1-9. through For in Thee do I put my trust. Preserve me. Thou art my Lord. I delight in what You delight in. I will not find myself with idolatry or those who speak of such. The Lord is my portion, my inheritance. My cup, Thou maintainest my lot. I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad. My glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. You won't leave me dead. That's what David says. And it points to Christ. Jesus died the death that we see here. Literally died. But notice this. Jesus rose without bodily decay in verse number 10. You won't leave my soul in hell. You won't leave my soul dead. Neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. That idea, holy one, of course, is pointing to Christ. Of course, you and I see that. No one else was ever called the Holy One capitalized, were they? No, only Jesus is the Holy One of God, the Holy Prophet, the the Holy One of God who came. The Holy One is the idea of the Anointed One, the Sent One. It is the word Messiah. That's what we see here, pointing to Christ. He will not face decay. Why were those ladies on that Sunday morning when Jesus rose showing up to the tomb with spices? that body was getting ready to start decaying. It was going to start to stink like Lazarus had done. And so, they showed up preparing to prepare his body to stay in the grave. But where was his body? Rose. Why? Because God would not allow it to decay. You and I, here's the truth. Your body, you're going to die one day, right? We know this. You might get cremated, be ashes. You might be sprinkled. You might get buried somewhere. It might be in a cemetery. It might be back in the woods. Who knows, right? And here's what's going to happen. Your body, over time, like every other body that has ever been put in the ground, will slowly but surely decay. Even with all the preservatives and additives and everything else they could possibly put in there. Nevertheless, it won't be that way forever. Christ is coming. And when Christ calls His people out of here, the decay is gone. One day you and I are going to a place where there shall be no more curse. We shall see our Lord face to face. That's our great confidence. He says, we see the ascension here. Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence, the fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. 
That's the glory that was set before Christ. To be seated at the right hand of the Father. Here's the path of life. Real life is only found in confidence and comfort in the Lord. The path of life is to look like this. A life that is on the path of life, if you will, is found in the presence of God, which with it has fullness of joy. That's the purpose of life, both now and forever. To dwell with God once more. To be reconciled with our Creator. To be reconciled with our God that we might know Him. Is there anything more joy-bringing or joyful than the presence of God? No. Nothing can come close. Nothing can top it. Nothing can compare. This is why both now and forever we can rejoice in Christ to know that we have His presence to enjoy now, but there is a fullness of that joy coming one day when we will be in His presence never to depart, nor never to reject His presence or to ever disobey Him again. One day, you and I will never fail our God again. Life is lived and to be lived in the presence of God, which is the fullness of joy. And he goes on and says, At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. The purpose of life is to live in the presence of fellowship with God. One day, though you and I might not necessarily be at the right hand, if you will, where Christ is, every pleasure of heaven is going to come from there. Everything in the new heavens and the new earth that is good flows from God's throne, from His presence. For David, this brought him confidence and comfort. For Jesus, the man, it brought confidence and comfort. For you and I, this must also bring confidence and comfort. You and I should not be a prideful people, should we? But we should be a confident people. Prideful people trust in themselves. A confident Christian is able to trust in God alone. It brings him a confidence to persevere, a confidence to move forward, a confidence to be used of God. And in so doing, it brings us a sweet comfort that one day we shall be with our Lord forevermore. Though we might not always feel that we're in the presence of God, though we might not always feel the fullness of joy, there is coming a glad day where we will forever and forever and forever. And when we make it to forever, we've still got forever to go. May we praise the Lord. May we return back to the place where we have confidence in Him and a comfort in Him. And may we seek to help one another to do the same. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this time. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You that we can have confidence and comfort in You. Help us to draw our confidence and our comfort from You and You alone, God, from Your Word, from Your Spirit from the personal work of the Lord Jesus Christ that You've given to us, Lord. You've given us so much. Help us be thankful, grateful. Lord, may we look to You. May we trust You. May You fill us and strengthen us, God, as we go from this place to be used of You for Your honor and for Your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.